0: I'm Charles Lee.
1: And you're listening to the Grok Science Show.
0: That's right. It's a weekly look at the world of science, technology, and their effects on our daily lives. Coming up on today's program, Carl Zimmer will join us to discuss Life's Edge. So
1: stay tuned for all of this.
0: Plus the Grokatron 5000.
1: And our world-famous question of the week.
0: Coming right up. Here. On the Grok's Science Show. science show. Well, what exactly constitutes life? And joining us today to discuss this issue is Mr. Carl Zimmer. Mr. Zimmer is the acclaimed science writer who writes the Matter column for the New York Times. He's winner of numerous awards, including the American Association for the Advancement of Sciences Science Journalism Award, the author of 13 books about science, including She Has Her Mother's Laugh, and penned the new book entitled Life's Edge, The Search for What It Means to be Alive. And Mr. Zimmer, thank you very much for joining us today on the Grok Science Show. Thanks for having me certainly a very fascinating book about what it means to be alive. I'm curious why you decided to put this book together.
1: Well, it's really the most fundamental question in biology. And it's the kind of question that, you know, we ask as kids and usually don't get a very satisfying answer from our parents. What's strange is that, you know, I grew up and became a science writer and got to write lots of things about biology, about jellyfish and whales and redwood trees and all the rest. And yet. I still would not really get a great answer to that question. In fact, a lot of the scientists I talked to, if I brought it up, would kind of look for ways to kind of dodge the question, you know, that it'd be like, well, I don't really uh, deal with those things. Uh, and, and and then it, when I would look into, well, how have scientists defined life, um, you realize that there are hundreds of definitions that have been put forward. And. Scientists don't agree. They haven't converged on an agreed-upon definition, which is kind of weird because, you know, imagine that astronomers did not agree on what stars are or what if chemists didn't agree on what a molecule is. That's the sort of the fundamental mystery at the core of of biology. And so I, I... you know, decided that, that it was time to really like delve into this. And, you know, first by sort of taking a, a journey to get to know life in its various forms, what are like the hallmarks of life that we, we all generally agree on, and then to move out to the, to the fringes, to those border lines that uh, mark the division between the living world and the, and the non-living world. And it gets very strange out there. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a weird realm where you encounter very strange things.
0: In in your first year biology class, you're usually presented with a couple features that people say this is life. It has to reproduce. Maybe it has to utilize energy or something like that. But those are kind of broad in many ways.
1: They are broad. And depending on your class, you're going to get a different list of these things that are the criteria for life. Certainly, these are these hallmarks are really remarkable things. I mean, it's you know, I reported on how pythons eat rats and digest them to really get to know metabolism metabolism is vital to life. We have to eat to live, basically. Then you have viruses. Well, viruses don't eat. They do reproduce, they definitely evolve. They do a lot of other things that are generally considered the hallmarks of life, but uh, they don't eat. So that leaves scientists floundering about whether viruses are alive or not. The other day I received an email in the morning from a scientist who emphatically told me that viruses are definitely alive. And any expert I would talk to would agree with that. And then in the afternoon, I got an email from another scientist who emphatically stated that viruses are not alive. And any expert could tell me that. You know, look, I just, I'm just here trying to write a book and <laughs> about science and how science deals with life. And it's, it's like the scientists are just writing the book for me.
0: Why is it important to be asking this question, uh, to nail down what is life so precisely?
1: It's important in lots of different ways. It's tempting, I should say, to just say, well, viruses, No, eh, well, who cares about viruses? Well, our whole world's been turned upside down by just one virus uh, over the past year. So viruses actually matter to our lives immensely. Uh, and if you're trying to understand the diversity of life, well, viruses are divided into species, even though scientists don't agree if they're alive or not. And some scientists estimate there might be a trillion species of viruses on Earth. In other words, the the vast majority of genetic diversity on Earth is in viruses. So to just sort of like brush that aside seems weird, I would argue. Meanwhile, we have a space probe that NASA has sent to Mars, which is rolling around and has a helicopter it's going to send off to take a close look at the planet one of its missions is to gather information to help us to figure out if there is or was life on Mars, which is a very interesting question, but a problematic one, because what are we actually looking for? Are we only going to be satisfied that there's life on Mars if there are Martians who walk around on two legs and look like us? Is it okay if they look like bacteria on Earth? Why does it have to, life on Mars have to look like life on Earth? You know, maybe... On Mars or another planet or moon, life had a completely separate origin with a totally different chemistry. How do we know it? If we're just relying on similarities, we might miss it. But if we could somehow develop a deeper theory of life and understand how life emerges from matter, then we would do a better job of figuring out where life is in the universe.
0: It may help to go back to fundamentals of life, which, as you mentioned, the chemistry of life. Should we be trying to understand a more fundamental level?
1: Uh, Definitely. And there are scientists who are working on that right now. Some of them are running experiments where they're trying to capture some of the aspects of the early Earth. On the early Earth, for example, there were volcanoes that started to poke up above the surface of the ocean and little ponds would form there and these ponds would would dry out and then get filled up again and dry out again, and so scientists have found that in those sorts of conditions, it might be possible for certain genetic molecules to start to, to spontaneously form, and might get trapped inside of little oily bubbles. You can think of them as kind of like protocells. So scientists are actually trying to build some of these protocells to see if they can, in a sense, create life from scratch. But There are other chemists who say, well, why why do we have to fixate on things like DNA and RNA and proteins? Maybe we need to just combine lots of other kinds of chemicals together and see what happens. And so there actually are robots now that have been programmed to just start doing just 24 hours a day, doing chemical reactions and observing from them and tweaking the recipes, looking maybe for some recipe to produce droplets, for example, that might have lifelike behaviors and see what happens from there.
0: Are we surprised looking at this that there wasn't a clear definition really that you could nail down regarding life?
1: It is remarkable that we we have this explosion of definitions, you know, hundreds of them literally. And what was particularly surprising was that, you know, I think of myself as a science writer and, you know, you stick to the science. And yet, Really, like I found that that some of the most interesting thoughts that people had were coming from philosophers, philosophers who, who stop and say, like, well, what's the what's the foundation of the ideas that we're talking about? What do we mean by the words that we choose? What are we doing here? A philosopher will say, well, why are we trying to define life? In fact, there is one philosopher named Carol Cleveland who has said that trying to find a definition for life is is pointless, is even harmful to the progress of science. We should really be trying to to develop a theory of life. It would be like asking an alchemist to define water. You know, the an alchemist wouldn't even know about hydrogen atoms and about you know water molecules are made of two hydrogens and one oxygen. Like all of that conceptual material, it just was lying off in the future. And so alchemists did try to define water, but they would just define it by the properties it had. Well, water is liquid and transparent and it freezes and it boils, and it didn't really tell you much about what matters about water. And for that, you really needed a, a real theory of chemistry, which, which emerged after generations of scientific experiments. So in a way, you know, we might actually be where the alchemists were. We're, we're waiting for that new insight to come. Do you get a
0: sense that we're on the cusp of that?
1: You know, it's, it's interesting to look at, at other uh, theories and, and how they arose, so, for example, superconductivity uh, is this bizarre phenomenon that scientists really just stumbled across when they would cool mercury and other substances. Suddenly, they lost all of their resistance uh, in terms of running current through them, which was bizarre, which wasn't supposed to happen, which didn't make sense. And you had lots of great physicists who tried to make sense of it, like Einstein, Richard Feynman, and, and they failed they couldn't do it. And eventually, some physicists did come along who who said, well, when you have certain kinds of materials in which electrons can move in a particular way, they will spontaneously take on this property. And that was incredibly important because now you didn't have these arbitrary random observations of different materials becoming superconductive at different temperatures. It all started to become unified. And not only did that give us like a deeper appreciation about how matter works, but it also opened the way for applications. You know, now you can say like, oh, OK, well, maybe we can make superconductive material that doesn't have to be really cold, that could be superconducting at room temperature maybe. And so there's lots of research now going into that. You know, you have levitating trains that that take advantage of superconductivity, uh, all sorts of real benefits that emerge once once that theory is produced. But before that theory was found, people were in the dark, uh, even Einstein. So maybe we're in that similar situation with life. So it could be a few years from now or a few decades from now before it starts to click in. I'm optimistic it will happen, but can't guarantee that you or I will be alive to see it.
0: Uh, What would you like people to take home from reading the book?
1: Would hope that people would look around at things that they've taken for granted. You know, the the trees that grow in their yard, you know, the animals that they see running around, they're, they're people's own bodies. And just recognize that there's something deeply mysterious about life. We share this thing called life in common. And yet it's it's actually still remains a fundamental mystery of the universe itself. And there are strange things to discover when you start to move out from life as you know it to this borderland where where
0: the living world meets the non-living we we're just talking with mr carl zimmer he's the author of life's edge the search for what it means to be alive mr zimmer thank you very much for joining us again on the grok science show it's been a pleasure